Hello and welcome to Just a Guy and His Journey Back to God. So today we're in Revelations 2 and uh, I think it's a pretty cool, cool book. And it's also the one that's very eye-opening. To me, it it <clears throat> demonstrates when I think I'm sinning and no one knows, God knows. Jesus knows exactly what's going on. So before we start reading, let's go to God in prayer. Father, thank you for today and for watching over us. Thank you for the many blessings. You're in- incredibly kind to put up with me and all of my shortcomings, and yet you still love me, you care about me, and you're engaged in my life on a daily basis. So Lord, I pray as we read, I pray that we would that we would focus on you, focus on your message, and that we would, Holy Spirit, hear you. I pray you'd provide us with wisdom and understanding that we've never had before. I pray that our spirits would be open, our minds would be open, and our hearts would be open, and that you would speak to us in a way that we completely understand. So, Lord, I just thank you, I praise you, and I ask for your blessing upon this reading. In Jesus' name, amen. So, like I said, I think one of the, the things that I took out of this chapter right away was Yeah, God sees me when I'm sinning in secret because it's not a secret. And worst of all, God sees it. So with that, let's go ahead and uh, let's let's just jump into the reading. Chapter 2, verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds... Your hard work and your perseverance, I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Now, if I sat there and had someone say that about me in my relationship with God, I'd be like, dang, I'm good. There's nothing. I've persevered. I've gone through hardships for God. Man, I'm I'm golden, right? <clears throat> well, verse 4. Yet, I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. So, I sit there at times and think about my love, my passion for God. It's, is it changed? Is it as good as it once was? Mm, probably no. Or is it as good as it was at its peak? Let's just say that. <clears throat> and the answer is probably no. And that's what this journey is all about, is going back to that passion, that love for God where I can honestly say I, I love God with my whole being, and as a result, I can love my neighbor as myself. So <clears throat> it's one thing when I compare myself maybe to others. Oh, yeah, I saw that in this person, and they were a heretic, or they were a false teacher. 
look at me, I'm good. But what about today? What about my heart? Do I love God with my whole being and my neighbor? I don't think so. And that's where the challenge is. My outward appearance versus what I do inside and where I'm at. So anyways, verse six, but you have this in your favor. You hate the practice, practice practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. <clears throat> Sorry. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the spirit says to the churches, to the one who is victorious. I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Verse 8, to the church of Smyrna. To the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These are the words of him who is the first and last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you feel rich. Yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you you are are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Whoever has ears, let him let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. <clears throat> you know, this is an interesting one because... This is basically Jesus doesn't have anything against these folks. He's just telling them, man, you are, you know, you, you have afflictions and you're, you have poverty, but you're actually rich because you can withstand and you're going to have to, because these people around you are going to be tough and kind of mess you up. So with that, hold on and be tough with it. To the angel of the church in Pergamum write, These are the words of him who has the sharp double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. Yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Anipus, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak, to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food, sacrificed to idols, and committed sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. These Nicolaitans are bad. Repent, therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give the person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. To the angel of the church in Thyatira, probably wrong. These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who had committed adultery with her suffer intensely, unless they repent of her ways. Verse 9. 
I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyratia, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose on you and impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. To the one who is victorious and does my, my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. That one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery. Just as I have received authority from my father, I will also give that one the morning star. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So, you know, like I did last time, I could come through and say, okay, this is the representation you know, of this church, of this woman. But you know what I take from all of this really goes back to my original thoughts at the beginning. God sees all of it. He knows our hearts. He knows our actions. We can't do anything in secret. We can't do anything in hiding because God knows all about it. So really, at the end of the day, what I'm taking away from this is God knows. And he knows, most importantly, my heart. And that's what I have to work on. My heart so that I love him and I live for him and that I love you, my neighbors, as myself. Now, looking through a few of these, these, these uh, scriptures and trying to find a commentary of giving you someone else who's way smarter than me the thoughts that they have, looking at Charles Spurgeon, I'm just going to read a little bit about what he, wrote, what he actually preached back in, seven, in 1888. He focused on Revelations uh, chapter verses two. Man, I'm struggling here. Revelations two verses twelve and thirteen. In his King James version, it reads, "And to the angel of the church in Pergamos, write these things. These things says he which has the sharp sword with two edges. I know your works and where you dwell, even where Satan's seat is, and you hold fast my name." And have not denied my faith. He writes, Your attention will be principally asked of these words. You hold fast my name and have not denied my faith. Especially note, dear friends, at the opening of this morning's meditation, the, cha- the character under which the Lord Jesus Christ presents himself to the church at Pergamos. These things, says he, which has the sharp sword with two edges. Does the Lord Jesus come to his church in that way? Does he at the door of the church bear a sword? A sword unsheathed, a sword that is sharp, a sword with two edges. Yes, even to his visible church, this is how our Lord Jesus Christ appears. To his own spiritual and faithful ones, he is to each one a husband full of unutterable tenderness and love. But to the visible church, which at its best estate is never altogether pure, he appears in severer form. To a church, he comes as captain of the Lord's host, and he wields a sharp sword with two edges. It is the parallel of that passage where John the Baptist says of him, His fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor, and he will gather his wheat into his garner. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. The winnowing fan is never out of his hand, for it is, always, it is always needed. Even though our Lord is full of divine grace, 
He is also full of truth. His love to his servants manifests itself in a burning jealousy which will not endure evil. So it's no small thing, God's love for us. It's no small thing for when God is in Jesus's uh, looking at our hearts and our church and our people. When you look at the church that was uh, mentioned there, it goes. You know, Spurgeon goes on to write. He turns the sword against those within the church who have no right to be there. It's no trifling thing to be a church member. I could earnestly wish that certain professors had never been members of a church at all, for if they had been outside the church, they might have been in far less peril than they are within its bounds. So I think about today, I think about our society today, and ultimately our society today has a lot of challenges. And within our church, there's teachings that are false. There's so many churches that are becoming incredibly liberal. There's no difference between them than any other organization, really. And in today's society with where the world is turning, it's important for us to know who's in our church, who are we within it, and is our church teaching the right things. In addition, God knows all. There is no ability on my part to hide. If I'm swearing, if I'm looking at porn, if I'm, if I'm drinking, if I'm lying, if I'm doing anything that I think I can get away with because, oh, no one sees it because it's done late at night or it's done when I'm by myself or it's just I'm telling someone a lie because they don't know any better. Maybe I'm trying to make myself look better. Maybe I'm trying whatever it may be. And I'm, you know, God knows and he sees it all. He, just as he saw all the issues with these churches, he knows the challenges in our hearts So when I sit there and think I'm getting away with something, I'm not. In fact, now I have to deal with it. I have to deal with those issues, those shortcomings, those things I thought I was hiding. And I have to deal with them because they always have a way of coming to light. So isn't it better to continue to focus on God and loving him and doing his will? To hold fast as he tells us to? To keep doing what's, what's right? To hold fast until he comes? Until he gets here? And then we'll have that white rock with our name on it. We'll have that good job, my faithful servant. All of that is really what this journey that I'm on is all about. Is learning how to love God with my whole being and my neighbor as myself. It's not for me to be better than someone else. It's not for me to be smarter. Because gosh knows that's not possible. (laughs) But... It's really just to do what's right, to love God, and live a good life that's fulfilling and brings God happiness. And I submit myself fully to him instead of just in pockets where, I wanna, where I'm willing to re- relinquish that control. So anyways, with that, I realize I'm probably rambling. So let's go ahead and go back to God in prayer. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your churches. And thank you for really being eye-opening to me, to helping me understand that at every single day, every single moment, you know about me. Just as I'm so thankful you know every hair on my head, you also know every deed that I do. So I would, I pray, Lord, that I would perform good works in the shadows, that I would do things that are good and pleasing 
to you without taking any, any recognition for it, that no one would see it, that it would be done because it's being done for you for no other reason, Lord, I pray, that my heart and my actions would demonstrate that I love you with everything that I am and that I love my neighbor as myself. So I lift up this time, Lord, to you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks for joining me at Just a Guy and His Journey Back to God. I hope you have a great day.